to you, Naomi. Thank you so much. Uh, well, tēnā koutou katoa and kia ora, welcome everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to introduce you all to this Kiwi-based um, webinar and in particular to introduce you to Nikki. Um, so uh, Nikki is a fundraiser and prospect researcher with nearly 20 years experience in the New Zealand non-for-profit sector. She works three days a week uh, for Victoria University in Wellington, where she's a manager and donor prospect researcher there. And um, in addition, she helps a number of other New Zealand schools and charities um, with their philanthropic research and also provides marketing comms and other advice, uh, which is great. Um, so myself, just for those of you who don't know me, I'm the New Zealand chapter president for Educate Plus, and I work at the University of Canterbury in the South Island of New Zealand. I'm in a major gifts role, and um, I find that prospect research is just absolutely critical to what we do. Um, it's not only about identifying and finding alumni and then researching them before you meet them, but I think it's it's also uh, um, really should be done with the utmost respect and discretion. And uh, I've found that when you are meeting people of high net worth who have um, active philanthropically, they actually have an expectation that you will have researched them and know about them before you meet them. So um, with that in mind, it's uh, we're really grateful to have you with us today, Nikki, uh, to, to give us some expertise and some background all about prospect research. So thank you very, very much. Um, and uh, the first question I think really to lead in with is, can you tell us, you know, what is prospect research? Well, that's a good question. So um, we'll start at the beginning. I'm just going to share my uh, screen with you now um, and we can do the old uh, slide thing. Which one is it screen to? Sorry about this PowerPoint slide webinar here. Share. Okay, so let's just go back to the beginning. So, okay. So at the very basic level, it's about identifying people, it's researching them. Um, it's generally about major donors and also, um, you know, it's about maximizing their support for your organization. And it's also, it's a process. So it's about the um, analysis of the, of the information that you gather um, from a wide variety of sources. So that's the sort of, you know, disc, disc, um, sort of, uh, sort of uh, well, it's the Institute of Fundraising who are in the UK. So that's their sort of basic definition. Obviously with alumni as well, you can use it to um, actually start to find lost alumni. So the basic sort of research tools that, that, that you can use to actually start to find people after you've, after you've lost them, because I've found at the university, what happens is people graduate, they go overseas, we lose them, they come back, you know, we, we don't know unless we actively find them. They don't always tell us. Um, and so our alumni team spend a lot of time, you know, networking people um, back in um, to try and, you know, get as many people as you can on your database. So why is it important? Why do we do this? Um, so it's about maximising the potential of, of the major donor, as uh, Naomi always, has already commented, that um, major donors do kind of expect you to know a little bit about them. Um, you know, if you go along to them with an arts project and they're only interested in sports, that's not really going to help um, anybody. It wastes their time, it wastes your time, 
and you know you could have another project that would be more sort of tailored towards what they actually want um, and it's about saving time as well um, you know obviously fundraisers are, are busy people um, not everybody is just a major gift fundraiser so a lot of fundraisers um, in smaller institutions are sort of trying to do a bit of everything so so, you know, there's not much point nurturing relationships with people who don't have great capacity um, or actually don't have any sort of propensity to your cause anyway. So, I mean, if you can do some of that sort of top line research first, find out a little bit about people, use this sort of initial filter. Do we think they're a major gift prospect? Yes, no. Then you pursue. I mean, obviously, people are still going to drop out along the way, but at least you're, you're starting with a, with, at, a good, at a good place to sort of do that initial filter. So how can it help advancement? So alumni and community engagement. So you can start to build your alumni community. So that's about finding lost, finding lost alumni, finding some, you know, actually re being able to reconnect with these people. And also, um, you know, to identify people outside your sort of alumni sphere who might be interested in supporting a, a specific project. So um, if you're, for example, building a sports complex, that is going to be um, used by the wider community outside the school, then you know there will be people out in your community locally who might want to support that. So it's about finding out finding those people um, and being able to connect to them as well. So it's about the finding the people and also looking at their networks to see how you can actually how you can actually sort of you know reach them. And um, I have to say in New Zealand that we're extremely lucky that you know the, the whole two degrees <laughs> two degrees of separation thing is generally true. And if you've got the right people um, sort of on your, your foundation board or your fundraising board or on your campaign committee, then, you know, that's when you start to le really leverage those networks and, you know, whose wife plays tennis with who else's wife. And that's how you, you know, get through to that person. Um, so, again, it's usually associated with major gift fundraising, but it also can use, be used to identify these well-connected individuals um who can you know actually help you open doors um and say these these people are commonly known as, as as rainmakers but it's about making those networks and building your sphere um because you know major gift fundraising is really hard and it's not something that you can do in complete iso in complete isolation and you need somebody who can build those networks with with peers of the people that you're going to be asking so there's very little research has been done about prospect research but um uh, a woman called Nicola Williams in April 19 did this uh, is research that she completed as part of her Masters of Philanthropy through the University of Kent in, the, in England. So all this research is based on um, information that she's gained from, uh, I think it was 81 universities. So universities fed into her research to say what they used, um, what they used it for. So the nine most common prospect research purposes. Um, I think we probably covered most of those. The probably ones in there is to reject prospects. So if you sort of find somebody and think, mm, not really sure, so you can put somebody aside. And that also links into the other one as well, which is due, due diligence. Um, so I think due diligence is something that's a little bit skimped on New, in New Zealand um not many organizations that i've come across when i'm doing sort of live presentations and people can put their hands up and tell me um actually have a sort of sound due diligence process have um good strong sort of um parameters around who they will and who they won't accept gifts from 
Um, so it's all linked into their kind of gift acceptance policy. Now, this is something that boards of trustees need to decide. Um, it's about the sort of um, ethical standpoint of the organisation um, and also their appetite for risk. Um, it doesn't mean to say that they're not always going to take a gift from somebody, but I think if they're aware of the risks, then they can at least prepare to say, right, okay, well, if the local paper comes along and asks us, ask us about this, why have we taken this gift from this person who, you know, might not sort of be considered a, a good prospect? So obviously, you know, there's this whole thing about, you know, fossil fuels, for example. So, um, you know, if you're setting yourself up as, a, as an ethical and green organisation, then, you know, do you take money from uh, somebody who's made a fortune, um, you know, in the, in the resources? sector um, and that's you know that that's a question that you should really be asking before you get to the stage where that happens um, and have that all sort of documented so that the fundraiser isn't left in a really awkward position um, yeah I mean there's a whole other sort of presentation there uh, <laughs> just jumping in there uh, presumably also things like a criminal record or things like that would come into those situations too where the possible grounds for rejecting yep yep i mean absolutely absolutely i mean it's a case of what is what you can research and what is um available from public sources um you know you can search newspapers and that kind of stuff to see if you know if people have been involved in wrongdoing and again you know, you, you can then make the call. I mean, you know, obviously there's probably, you know, it's all on a sliding scale. So you've got some things that, you know, some criminal behaviour that it's just like, whoa, we're not going to touch them. But then there could be other things that it's, you know, you're not really sure low level. Um, like say, if somebody has a straight, if somebody has a, a company that went bust and they went bankrupt, then, you know, there's a whole sort of context behind that. If, if, if they was, you know, they were in a situation where, you know, they had problems with people paying them and, I mean, that's not a criminal record, but, you know, if you're building a business school, then you might want to consider these kind of these kind of um, sort of aspects as well. But yes, I mean, it's a whole it's a whole minefield. And I think it's stuff that is often not given enough weight, um, you know, when sort of considering about these kind of gifts. And then what generally happens is what some, what can happen is obviously somebody comes along and says, oh, what do we do now? And you're kind of at the point where you're just about to ask the donor or the donor, you know, you're kind of in negotiations with the donor. And then, you know, this happens and that's like, oh, my God, we haven't got a policy. What do we do? And you have to go back to the board of trustees. So it's really kind of, you know, if you're in a major gift campaign, then you really need to sort this kind of stuff out first. And everybody be, needs to be really clear about, you know, where on the spectrum you're kind of drawing your line. When do you do the research to say, hey, well, you know, this person has done this, that and the other do we think this is still a future risk? Because, I mean, you know, if somebody had a, com a company that didn't go to the world 20 years ago but has been, you know, a pillar of the community since then, you know, is that okay? Is that not okay? But as I say, as fundraisers, I don't think that's our decision to make. That's, that's that, Those kind of decisions need to sit with, with boards of trustees. Not that they Absolutely. like making those decisions. <laughs> Okay, so this is just some, again, some quotes from the research. Um, so to just to back up the, um, the last slide. So identifying prospects. Um, to, so the fundraiser using to match prospects with our projects based on their interests and affinities. So again, that's about finding out about the donor and only putting projects to them that are relevant to them. Um, preparing for meetings. It's about giving, it's giving the major gift fundraisers confidence as well. I mean, 
uh, I mean, I realise that a lot of you are kind of doing both, but as a, as a, as a, as a researcher, you know, I'm sitting there doing my, doing my research because I'm not the person that likes to go out and talk to people. Um, so that's your, you know, your ta-da, that's your fundraisers. But obviously, you know, a lot of people need confidence to go and do that, to sit down with somebody across the desk and look them in, look them in the eye and, you know, ask them for that, ask them for that gift. So, I mean, I think you feel more prepared and certainly, um, if I'm doing uh, bios for um, sort of events and stuff, then I think it gives people a little bit more confidence. If you know something about, you know, five people in the room, say these are five, these are the five people we need you to go and talk to, and this is a top line on all of these people, you know, then you've got something to go and talk to them about. Um, I think you have to be quite careful about <laughs> what you might have learned in research because it might be taken aback if you go up and say, oh, you know, how's so and so you're doing it? It's like, oh, okay, I didn't know you knew that about me. And, yeah, but what I'm saying is it just gives you a bit more confidence. You feel like you know the person. I mean, from the research I've done, I feel like I know all the people I've researched. And I know if I met some of them, I would find it really hard. <laughs> I would find it really hard not to be over familiar. So I think in some ways that's the good thing of having the distinction between the prospect researcher and then having giving the gift, giving the, um, giving the data and the profiles to the fundraiser who then reads it and they go off as opposed to me where I've delved around in, in people's lives and sort of, you know, probably know far too much about quite a lot of people. Um, and also understanding gift capacity as well. So, um, you know, you can have an idea that somebody is rich, but actually what does that mean? Um, and, you know, by the same way, you don't want to go and ask somebody who could give you 100,000 for 10 and, and vice versa. You know, you don't want to come away shorthanded, but you don't want to sort of embarrass them by asking for too much um so you know it's about pitching the level of the ask and again giving the fundraiser confidence to do that um is really important so this is what uh prospect researchers spend most of their time uh looking at so i think we sort of covered quite a quite a lot of those um it's all the it's all the fairly sort of usual stuff. Again, I've talked about event briefings, and that that is quite popular, especially um, again at the university. If you've got people who aren't fundraisers who are going to events, so your senior leadership team, senior staff, and also you know members of your board of trustees to say these are the people that are going to be there, um, and just to give them a little bit of um, you know background on on who's going to be there and who they might like to go and talk to. Um, again, just the basic stuff as well about updating contact details, um, researching people's networks and connections is really important. Again, that's about how you, how you, get, to, how you get to meet them if they're not already um, close to you. So um, prospect research is a process. It's not sort of something that you do and you put it in a drawer and it's done. So it goes, it goes, it goes on and on, believe me. Um, lots of resources that we use here in New Zealand are free, which is um, very fortunate for us. Um, overseas, that's not always the case. And you need to stick with it. I mean, you know, you can gather research at any time um, and you put it in your database and store it away for when you might need it. So you might think, well, okay, this person looks really interesting, but, you know, they're in a, say, for example, at the moment, they, you know, this person looks really interesting um but actually their fortune is in tourism or hotels at the moment so now is probably not the time to what not not the time to approach them but that doesn't mean you're not gonna you know do some background information keep an eye on them and and sort of keep them in your pool 
and you know when when the world goes back to normal um you know then will be a good time to to ask them or it might just be that you know they're the right person but you don't have the right project for them but you might know that in a year's time you might have something that is going to be relevant to them so it's about putting all that information in your database and also having it so that you can um you know pull it all out in a way that is useful to you so it's a lot of cataloging and a lot of um prospect researchers that i know of as well also come from library and cataloging backgrounds so you know it's about storing that information away having a database where you can you know put all this information in and then in the future you can pull it out and say right okay let's have a look at everybody that we've identified in the last two years that has an interest in the arts or has an interest in sport or you know um is interested in in a project that you kind of is live for you now but you might have found prospects you know two or three years ago um so it's just about building up that data um and yeah i mean it's a it's a it's a it's a data thing and i'm sure john can talk talk far more far more about this than i can but you know it's about that consistent accurate storage of data and the ability to interrogate your database and export it out um, is almost as important as the collection itself because if you if you if you just kind of throw everything in it and you can't pull stuff out then you know you might have lost it um, forever because it's just too random especially you've got especially if you've got an enormous an enormous database um, yeah so resources so the best intelligence you'll ever collect will be a fundraiser who's developed a professional relationship with a prospect based on mutual trust I think people forget that and I find some major gift people I work with kind of expect you as the prospect researcher to sort of hand them a fully formed kind of person on a plate and say go forth and ask this person and they will say yes but it's about that um, relationship it's about that relationship building um, so that is the best thing because people will tell you know in conversation as you build up that relationship people will tell you all sorts of things um, and it's up to the fundraiser to decide what's useful and what's relevant and also you know whether you can store that information on a, on a database um, then also if you've not yet developed a relationship with a prospect and being able to analyze the data you already hold is great for measuring engagement so um, I mean we take we sometimes we sort of take a lot of stuff for granted that we already have so if you're sending out a newsletter do you know who is regularly opening your newsletter who is clicking through on the articles who is who are coming to your events? How often do they come? What sort of events do they come to? What are they interested in? Are they getting involved in in other areas in other parts of your organisation that you might not know about? Um, again, it depends how big your organisation is. I mean, at the university, this um, has proved quite challenging because you know we think that we're not actually that close to um, a particular prospect, and I've found them. And we, you know, we want to go out and talk to them and we approach them and we kind of ask around and no, nobody knows them and whatever else. And then you suddenly find somebody in the business school who says, oh yes, well, he's been giving a guest, guest lecture here, you know, twice a year for the last 10 years. And it's like, duh, we didn't know that. And we thought he was, you know, miles away from us, but actually he's quite close. So it's about talking to other people in your organization um, and trying to get these people on board as well. Now, as I say, in some organizations that is going to be a lot easier than others. Um, and it's also about building relationships internally as well, because otherwise, you know, it's, oh, it's the development office, they're going to mess everything up because all they want to do is go out and ask people for money. Um, so it's about doing that sort of internal thing as well. So we're going to have a quick look now at the main go-to resources that, um, that I use. Are we, is, have we had any questions? Has anybody got any questions? I'll just breathe at this point. 
You're on mute, Naomi. I've just got a comment, Nikki. I thought that was a great point you just made about other people in your organisation being able to provide intelligence. And I think sometimes that's also um, in schools, our principals and board of governors and in universities, you know, our senior management team and our senior academic staff. And um, I guess it's sometimes about when we hear that information, putting it into the database or into our records, isn't it? So that it can uh, be collated. Yes, yes. It's all it's all it's all down to the you know what sort of data what data what sort of database you've got. Is it set up for for doing this for this kind of thing? I mean, like most universities, we're on razor's edge, and you know once you kind of get it set up, it's about you know assigning people attributes and and all the rest of it. So um, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a long process, but um, it's definitely um, it will definitely pay dividends in the end. So let's have a quick look at resources now. Now, if I just go here. Uh, so can everybody see the charity's office? No, okay, let's have another, let's, let's stop, let's do we stop sharing and share another, see if we can do it this way. No, share. Can we see the company's register now? Okay, got the thumbs up. Okay, so this is, um, we keep getting these messages here, so we'll just get rid of those. So this is the um, company's register. Hopefully most people have sort of seen this before. So obviously you can search for company names and you can search for directors and shareholders. So in this case, we'll, share, we'll search for directors and shareholders. Um, um, so Nikki, I'll just interrupt just for our Australian viewers. So this is based on resources that we have available to us in New Zealand. Oh. Um, but we may be able to follow up after this webinar with similar um, resources that are available to you in Australia. Okay, so let's look up a particular philanthropic individual. Okay. Okay, so here we can see that we've got at the very basic um, level, and I would always search surname, first name. Um, so we've got 233 results because we've got no filters on this whatsoever. Um, and also we're looking at directors and shareholders. Um, okay, so we've got lots of different Gareth Morgans here. So we're, you know, looking for the Gareth Morgan. Um, and we can have a go here. Now, obviously, the other thing that's also very, that's also quite um, interesting here as well, is Morgan Gareth Hugh, H-E-W, Morgan Gareth Hugh, H-U-G-H, and Morgus, Morgan Gareth H-U-W. So this is something you need to be aware of, is that in some cases, people's names will be spelt differently, even on what is a sort of reputable, um, you know, source of truth, such as the company's office. Um, so, you know, it's just, just to be aware that if somebody's got a name that, you know, is spelt correctly and um, that can be spelt differently, then, you know, obviously there's obvious ones like Stuart and Stuart and, um, you know, with the male and female, make sure you've got the right spelling of Francis and all that kind of stuff. But it is worth just thinking about if you can't find somebody, then, you know, if somebody's given you a name, then, you know, 
they might have written it down as somebody told them and they've done that and that well when i'm doing freelance work that has happened to me somebody said can you find this person it's like uh i don't think i can now because you've given me completely the wrong name <laughs> but it's worth you know just being aware of, of these kind of um of these kind of issues so what you can do um and this is new this is new from the company's office i was very excited about this which shows what a very very sad person i am um, is you can export this to a csv file Or not okay not gonna do it for me no it's not working okay let's see if it will save it to a PDF oh here we are oh okay it was doing the CSV just took a little while okay you could be groaning here so this is great so this 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 made me very happy <laughs> can you can you see the CSV file here so here it gives you all the addresses so that you know which Gareth Morgan you're looking at and that the Gareth Morgan with all the different names is the same person and also Nicky, we can't see the CSV file can you not see it oh okay sorry I'm gonna have to screen I have to stop sharing and share something else this is what's going to happen with things popping up sorry okay share yep can you see it now Roger that. Okay, so um, so this confirms here that obviously if you're looking for the Gareth Morgan, then it's the it's the guy who's at uh, 35 Hay Street because everybody knows that's basically where he lives. He's in the phone book as well, which is quite amazing, or he was. Um, so I mean, this also tells you here that these Gareth Morgans with no middle names is obviously the same person as well. So you can start to um, you know sort of filter out who there is. And that kind of stuff and then you've got all of them as well so then you can start to i mean obviously you can start to confirm the um like the address and that kind of stuff and start to look at all his sort of various companies um and that kind of thing i'm gonna have to stop sharing and share something else now so um this is gonna be a bit painful sorry guys uh, let's go back to companies office share share screen one, which one is it? This one here. Yeah. So you can also get this information come up as a PDF um, and you can view it as well, which you we used to have, but now we've got the CSV, so that's much that's much better. Oh, it's going a bit slow. I think it's going a bit slow. I think it's the weight of technology. So the other thing you can use here is these filters here. So if you only want current directorships um yeah it's all gone a bit frozen isn't it yeah okay so you can you can use these filters you can use so you can use all or you can have current directorships and also as to whether the company still exists or not as well um and you can also change this if you want to search on just directors or just shareholders now, the thing with the directors and shareholders is um, you can sometimes find people's families. So if people have these companies that are just kind of formed by them and other members of their family, and then if you look at the shareholders, then all the other members of the family will be shareholders. So it's a way of finding out, you know, people's wider networks. And also, you know, if you start to look through people's companies' records where there are directors, are they directors with 
you know, the same people all the time or have they got a wide variety of people? So sometimes, you know, with their personal business holdings, are they kind of holding them quite close? Have they got one or two sort of close confidence? And so again, that sort of, again, that could be a lead to actually finding a way to actually contact them um, if, that's, if, that's what you, if that's what you need to do. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, I don't quite know what's happened here because I should be able to get rid of that. Okay, let's stop sharing. We'll have a loud look at um, Terranet. Let me get that up there. Go back here. So share screen. This one here. Share that one. Okay, so this is Terranet. So this is the uh, the property ownership database. Um, if you want to search it most effectively, you need to have an account, but it's free. Um, so I've already logged in, but when you, if you don't have an account, then you just set up yourself with a free account and you want to be a casual user, a casual user. Um, so you can search on, so all addresses owner, um, if you don't have an account, you can only search on addresses, but once you've got an account, you can search on people's names, which is obviously most of what I do most of the time. Uh, so again, we've got a whole heap of, um, you know, Gareth Morgan's there. Um, and again, it's just about finding uh, what properties he's owned. Now, going back to tying this with the company's office is that companies can own properties. So if you've got companies, um, where people are directors um, and you're not sure what the company does, then it's worth putting it in into Terranet to see does that company own the property? Um, because sometimes, you know, individuals might not own the property in their own name. Um, and again, if you can find, you know, details of their, their spouses and, and stuff, then sometimes, you know, various properties might be in, you know, in partners or, or, or spouses' names and, and that kind of thing as well. Um, and then there are various um, uh, commercial websites where you can actually get valuations for properties as well. There's, uh, there's Westpac and there's one called Homes as well, which is from, um, uh, there's a Trade Me. There's a trade, there's a trade Me property as well. So that's the two that I tend to use um, where you can just put the address in and it'll give you, it'll give you a valuation. Um, obviously with the falling property market or things that are a little bit unstable at the moment. So, you know, it, it, it's a it's a it's a ballpark figure but it's going to give you start to build up a picture of you know somebody's sort of capital capital wealth and that kind of thing so you can start to and you can start to get a picture um of um you know sort of what their what their asset holdings are like um the other thing of course that this is really useful is if you've got lost alumni is to start is to start finding people um and to check their addresses and that kind of stuff um, the other resource that is available for you for checking addresses, of course, is the electoral roll. Now that is only available in hard copy, but you need to go and you need to go to the library to, to look it up. But it is there. And, you know, if you've got a list, um, you need you can just go along and, and you know, go along on a Friday afternoon and flip through and, and find people's addresses. Um, and that kind of and that kind of to help you sort of start to build up your database. Um, so that's so that's a little afternoon spent at the library. Um, the only thing for that is you do need to know which electorate they live in. Um, but there is a website called Find My Electorate where you put somebody's address in and it will tell you which electorate that they are in so that you look in the right book of the electoral roll. Um, I've actually got a cop I've actually got a list of uh, resources. So if people would like a copy of that, 
um, after this presentation, then I'll be happy to send that out. People can contact me. Um, we can we can look at that one. Uh, let's stop sharing. Let's go to the next one. So share this one. Oops, sorry, where's my thingy gone? Share screen. Charities. So this is the charities register. So this is where we can start looking at people's, um, you know, interests and, and propensities to get involved in charitable causes. Um, you can do the officer search down here, which is generally the best way. And you put their first name and their last name in. Um, you have to tick the individual box, even if you put their first name and their last name in, it doesn't, it won't search. Um, the thing, just to be a little bit aware of here, um, is when you do your searches, you can only put in first name and last name, and then sometimes when you go to the to the next stage, it will um, it will give you a middle name, but it doesn't always. So you have to be a little bit wary to make sure that you've got the right person, because if it's a common name, you know there could be more than one person with the same name, and you don't want to um, misidentify someone. So let's see here. So nine results. So looking at all those, um, apart from the top one, uh, which is Sam Morgan, um, whose first name is actually, which is Gareth, which is, you know, again, interesting, interesting to know if you're trying to search on proper records. So Sam Morgan, um, he is Gareth Sam, known as, um, known as Sam. So again, that's something else to be aware of. If you know if somebody's known as Peter, then Peter, and you can't find him, then Peter might not necessarily be his first name. Um, it is not uncommon for um, people, especially it seems to be more men than women, tend to use can use them to use, tend to use their middle name a little bit. Um, let's have a look. So what else have we got? We've got. So your your local library is a wealth is a wealth of information. Um, obviously, a lot of news media now is on the um, is on the internet, but not everything not everything is. Oh, what have I done here? Uh, sorry, I've lost the I've lost the screen sharing thing. I haven't got the. Well done. Oh, screen share. Sorry. Um, where's the library one? Is now a good time, Nikki, to ask you what we can't include in our research? So yes. Um, yep. No, that's always worth bearing in mind. So um, I think it's it's often about context. So I think there's um, cases where stuff is in the public domain, but if you've appended that information to somebody's record, would they be surprised by that? Um, or information where you might really casually that somebody's, um, you have to be really careful about people's information about people's children, um, even if it's in the public domain. So for example, um, if people, for example, had a, um, you know, a, 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 you know, had a child who was quite unwell as a baby and they might have, gone public with that because they thought it would help other people. If you've attached that to their alumni record, would they find that strange? So I think you just need to be a little bit aware about these things because people can request everything you hold about them. 
Um, and I think also when you're writing notes from um, writing notes from meetings, I have had to um, go back to some of our development managers um, who had sort of written something along the lines of, you know, this person was a complete idiot. And I said, they can ask for that. So I suggest you rephrase that. Um, so that's just something to be, that is just something to be aware of. Um, so, so Nikki, just pausing on that for a moment. So when you are putting the records into the database, you recommend that you write them as if the alumnus or the donor could read them themselves. Yes, yes. And sometimes and if somebody discloses something personal about themselves and if they do it in the case of like having a conversation with you as a major gift officer, you might want to check to say, are you happy if I record that? Because they might say, you know, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I've only got, you know, I've been given two years to live. Then they might tell you that might be something because you've got that personal relationship with them. But would they expect that to be held on their held on their record? Because, um, you know, other people might be able to see that. And of course, that is the other thing to consider as well with all the storage of your data is to is to think about can everybody who is using this database access absolutely everything? And is that appropriate? Um, so obviously with, with Razor's Edge, the database we've got then, um, you know, we can cut off certain areas. I mean, it's the same for gifting information as well, but it's for this kind of information um, too, where somebody's had a conversation. And um, I know that some of our major gift officers have actually asked people to say, do you mind, can I put that information on our database? Um, and, and people have said, you know, generally, you know, they're sort of okay about it. Um, but, you know, other times they might not. But just because you've read something in the media doesn't necessarily mean that you can put it on, on the database. Um, I mean, and also there's the whole thing about if you're, um, we're not sort of covering, we're not covering ratings and that kind of stuff now. But if you are kind of scoring people, then, you know, you need to be careful about how you're kind of rating them and what, and what you're sort of, you know, saying and the labels and stuff that you use. Um, so, yeah, I think you just need to be mindful that people can request information from you. Um, now, the, the, your local library is a, is a wealth of information um, and a lot of them have really, really good online resources. Um, it's completely free. You just need to be a member of the library. So here, for example, you've got the press reader, which I'm sure most people will be um, familiar with. I mean, obviously, if you're in a university, you've got access to the university library and that was kind of one of the most exciting things when I went to um, <laughs> Victoria University of Wellington was this, oh my God, they got all these libraries, it's amazing, with all these kind of huge on online resources. Um, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens because obviously a lot of the newspapers now are going are putting their premium content behind paywalls. Um, so it's interesting that you can't actually find as much on the internet as you used to. Um, and the face of obviously media is changing. So it'll be interesting to see sort of how that goes and, you know, will, will libraries get subscriptions to this kind of stuff so that you can access, um, you know, the sort of top sort of level business news and, and that kind of thing. So it's good to keep an eye on sort of what the best, what the best sort of sources, what the best sources are and that kind of thing. Um, but there's just, that's just standard sort of um, press reader. Um, and there's also here, this is just Wellington, but I'm sure other libraries will be the same, um, is, is newspapers. Um, and you can search, this is, it's this one, it's the ProQuest, ANZ Newsstream. Um, and this is all these kind of papers um, searched back for many years. So again, it's worth doing that. If you're getting to the stage where you're asking somebody for a big gift, 
it's going to be very visible, then I would strongly suggest that you need to kind of go back and see, you know, what what uh, skeletons might may or may not be hounding in the cupboard. And of course, there might not be any, and it's fine. But I think, you know, having access to these sort of um, archives of newspapers and stuff is is really um, is really handy. As I say, if you're in a university and you've got access to the university library, then there's a database called Factiva, which is amazing, and it's newspapers from all over the world. And I can, you know. Um, search things like you know, the Straits Times and, and all that kind of stuff for, for Asia and that. So that's a very useful resource to have. Um, but I don't think the City Library has it. It's quite, it is quite, I know it is quite expensive. Um, so if you're, in a, if you're in a university, then you're extremely lucky to have access to this. Now, obviously you've got your own, um, you've got your own information as well. Um, as I've said before about you know who's coming to resort who's coming to your um events who's you know clicking open on your newsletter and that kind of stuff um so that's the sort of you know really sort of easy wins if you like um and also you've got the um you've got the information from your own um from your own linkedin um from your own linkedin i've just kind of put on the wrong one hold on from your own linkedin uh, one as well. Can you see that one? Yes. Okay. So um, hopefully people are familiar with this. So this is a so this is a set up as a school page, and on here we've got alumni. So seventy six thousand alumni, um, and you can start to use these filters here where they live. So this where they live is very useful. So if we're doing an event, um, you know somewhere somewhere else in the world, then we will say, right, well, we want to find all our alumni in the various part of the world, um, you know, say like Singapore or something. So we'd um, select on Singapore up here, um, where they work, what they do and what they study. So you can start to think, well, who are the alumni that are likely to have the, the biggest capacity to give? So, you know, they're going to be people who are possibly working in finance, and they're people who are lawyers. Um, so you can use these very basic filters um, here just from your own from your own um, data. Now, um, I know that schools have these pages. I had a look um, that um, Auckland Grammar certainly have got one. And so if you if you you know if you're going to have a, a unit um, like a school page, then you know you you have actually got all this a lot of this stuff at your fingertips, and you can start because obviously you know you know, we can't look at seventy six thousand alumni. So we need to start sort of, you know, sectoring up. We'll do it geographically if we're looking for an event or to find people in certain um, areas. But also um, up here as well with this start year and end year, you're going to be probably looking, if you're looking for gifts, then you're probably going to be looking for people who are in a certain age demographic. And you can start to say, right, well, we want people who, you know, graduated from, you know, 1986 and earlier or something or between, you know, 70s and 80s or whatever to find people with a certain um, sort of age profile to um to do that that's fantastic uh thank you nikki um i also um just have a question uh, about like data protection act the, the gdpr oh, and lovely. the new zealand privacy act you know how does some of that come into our searching and our prospect researching Oh gosh, that's a, that was an absolute that was an absolute minefield, but it seems to have calmed calmed down a little bit now. 
Um, I think it needs, it's something that needs to be covered in, the, in your privacy statement. So um, if you didn't update your privacy statement to allow for GDPR and you've got um, alumni overseas, then that is certainly something you need to look at. Um, certainly in New Zealand, the rules that apply to GDPR for people that are actually in the UK are slightly different to the rules that apply for people that are overseas. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a privacy expert, but I think it's something you need to be aware of. You need to make sure your privacy statement is up to date and certainly seek proper legal advice. Um, the other thing is as well, is if you're like we have, we have a, a UK registered charity, um, then obviously we need to make sure that that all complies as well. Um, but yes, it, it was a, it was a bit of a minefield. I think as universities and schools, we do have um, what is known as um, you know legitimate interests. So we we can you know research our research our alumni because we have a legitimate interest in finding them and keeping in contact with them. Um, yeah, but I think you need to just make sure your privacy statement is up so it covers searching well, not searching people, but appending people's um, data that you already hold. And it's really clear. I think it's just transparency is, is the key, really. Yeah. And uh, Nikki, um, I really uh, encourage everyone to um, send in some questions if you have them for Nikki, and we'll work our way through them. But in the meantime, Nikki, what are some of the big mistakes that we can make if we're starting in this prospect research game? Um. I think you. I think thinking and planning before you start is very important. And it's as, as I said, um, you you can't. It's thinking about how you're going to structure your data, what you want to do with it, what you're looking to achieve, and how you're going to and how you're going to, how what you're collecting is going to help you achieve that aim. Um, so it's about sitting up. Um, uh, more, it's more about setting things up. If you're, start, if you're starting from scratch, you're setting things up well from the beginning. Um, when you're actually doing the research, my biggest, my biggest problem is um, going down the rabbit hole <laughs> and getting completely, completely waylaid and, you know, going out here somewhere. That's a big, that's a big issue. Um, yeah. So being focused to begin with. Being focused. Being focused, yeah. yes. Um, yeah. We've got a couple of questions for you, Nikki, which is really great. Um, Lisa's asked, do you have any advice on looking up female alumni who have a different name? So they've changed to a married name since graduating, uh, oh, that yes. sort of thing. Okay, so sometimes on people's LinkedIn profiles, they don't change their name. Um, so if you look in the URL at the top, that will give you a clue as to whether it's the same person or not. That, that, does, that does happen. I think it's about looking at if they've got first names and um, if you... Is, as a university, then you're going to have their first name and their middle name. Um, you can use, you can search on first name and middle name on Terranet, regardless of their surname. So that could start to sort of limit it, limit it down. Um, you know, it's about sort of trying to focus, isn't it? I mean, it is, it is, it is, it is a, it is a problem. Um, and luckily now, women are less seem to be less likely to change their name, which is great, which is great. Um, but yeah, I think with it's it's because as a university, it's good that you've got their first name and their middle name, and you can search on just those two names and start to kind of focus it down and think, you know, who who they are and and that kind of thing. You know, are they kind of in the right age group 
does their degree match on on LinkedIn and that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't know, um, certainly at, um, at Vic, I have access to student records as well. So I can sort of look to see what sort of degrees, um, so we can look at check all that kind of thing. We've got people's dates of birth, so we can know sort of where they were, um, you know, actually doing. So we can match, what I'm saying, so we can match what's on their LinkedIn profile to to what is on, which, which is what is on our record. So. You know, if it's if there's a LinkedIn profile for somebody, you think it's the same person, so does their degree and all that kind of information match as well. But yes, it, it is a bit of a minefield, and sometimes I have identified the wrong person, so you just need to be a little bit careful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Nikki, we've got another question. This is uh, from John. Uh, can you talk a bit more about finding out about family foundations? Because it seems sometimes they can be a bit hidden. Yes, they are. <laughs> that's the, so that's the short answer yes 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 they are i what what, what exactly are you i'm not sure what you're meaning by family foundations um i guess it's where if especially around assessing capacity um companies publish accounts and you, you get a sense of the size of a company it's, it's possibly a bit easier with an individual but the family foundation with the money squirreled away in there um, yeah, yes, that, I'm afraid that out. I'm afraid that is a that is a that is a, a black hole. I'm afraid because, um, like family, um, so obviously there's charity registered charities, but all the sort of private family trusts and charitable private family charitable trusts, there's there's no information on them. I was hoping for some magic sauce. Or secrets. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> no, okay, no it, it is it is where, especially where you know we we find people sometimes and they they appear to have no assets but and you just have to assume that they are in a one of these private family trusts and there's no information about them at all so yes i'm afraid that is a that is a bit of a hole um and another question nikki um how does facebook fit in with the any of the research that you do what sort of value do you place on that um i must admit i don't use facebook a lot um, it's quite good for sort of finding people and identifying them. I personally feel that Facebook is, is because it's a sort of personal thing. It's a little bit too snoopy. Um, so I would kind of use it for the general vibe to put, <laughs> to, for what to put it other way. Um, but also the other thing is it's, you know, a lot of people it's, um, yeah, again, it's what people have written about themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of there and it's a resource, but it's not really something that I kind of rely on a lot. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, are there any other questions? We are coming towards the end of our time and I'd just like to sum up some of the key points that I thought uh, Nikki's made that have been absolutely great, but, uh, um, Oh, just got a question here, Nikki. Any handy resources for finding alumni in trade services sector? Um, no, I'd have to have a think. I'd have to have a think about that. I mean, there are lots of um, sort of directories for professionals. So obviously, there's you know uh, lists of lawyers and doctors um, and those kind of people. If people are registered trade professionals, I would look to see if there's you know directories. Do they have some sort of um, accreditation system whereby people sort of, you know, have to say that they're registered, whatever, um, and they and they publish lists of those. So there's like the industry associations um, that might be able to, to help with that kind of thing. I mean, certainly there's, um, as I say, more for professionals. 
um, but there certainly could be for, for trades for trades people and that kind of thing. Great. Um, well, I just got, um, I sort of made five key points here um, that I just thought, Nikki, you've, you've really um, conveyed so well in terms of the importance of prospect research. And one that it really does play a vital role in the early stages so that if there's anything that could possibly um, come up about gift acceptance that you, you, through the prospect research process you, you've un uncovered that. Um, I think too, uh, you, you made a really good point that once we have got this research, uh, if any of us in our teams are going out and meeting alumni and donors, not to be too over familiar with the information that we've gathered. I thought that was a great point. Um, and third, that that really the, the, this, the research that we're doing is to give us as alumni and fundraising professionals confidence and our leaders in confidence so that they can have intentional conversations. And I think that's, that's really good. Uh, the fourth point I thought was excellent that um, it's all very well getting this research, uh, but we do need to then be able to pull it out and extract it and report on it. So being aware of our processes there. Um, and uh, the, the fifth point was uh, your, your point you made that as um, alumni and fundraising professionals in our conversations with our alumni and donors that we, we do gather amazing intel there and, um, and our other organisational colleagues and our leaders, you know, have amazing information that they pick up and uh, so to be able to think about how, how we record that. Um, so on behalf of us all here today, Nikki, thank you very, very much for being very generous with all your knowledge and experience. Um, we've really appreciated it. You've given us um, some great tools here to put away in our toolbox, and I'm sure all of us will be um, re-watching this uh, recording because it's been very, very helpful. So thank you very, very much from all of us. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for uh, giving me the opportunity to uh, to chat. And if anybody wants any further sort of help or advice or has any questions that they think of after, um, I'd be more than happy to uh, to hear from you. And uh, Sheila will be sending out uh, uh, the, the link to everybody and that will have my details on. So please, um, please do get in touch. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. Have a good day. Bye. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.